Ajij is an Indonesian fisher from North Sumatra. He had been working at a restaurant in Medan. He joined a fishing vessel in the hope of earning a decent income. He knew it would involve hard work, but he wasn't prepared for what he encountered. I did not expect that my decision to fight for additional life by trying my luck on a freight fishing boat would end in failure. In fact, I become an eyewitness to a tragic event. A fellow crew member died on the boat due to the sadistic treatment of the bosun and the captain. When he and his fellow fishermen managed to get off the boat in Fiji, they had to find their own way home, and they had difficulty affording this or even getting any payment, even with the help from the Indonesian Migrant Workers' Union, also known as SBMI. I did not go straight to my parents' house in Medan because the money was insufficient to buy a bus or plane ticket. I stayed at a friend's house in Jakarta for three days. And in August 2019, I went to the office of the SBMI Tagal branch to complain about our salary issue. At that time, I was the only one who filed a case complaint to SBMI Tagal. I couldn't figure out why none of my fellow fishers filed the same complaint as me. I, together with someone from SBMI, went to the recruitment agency office to negotiate for my salary, but I was still not given a penny. The company did not want to pay my salary on the grounds that I did not finish the contract. According to the contract, I was required to pay for transportation expenses if I did not complete the job accordingly. The company said that all my money was used to pay for all of my accommodation and transportation costs to return home. Ajij ended up in a poorer position from his experience on the Taiwanese fishing vessel. And he's not the only one who's ended up in this situation. The experience has left both physical and mental trauma. I have had bad experiences as a crew member on a foreign ship. For this reason, I hope that the government will revoke the permit and close the recruitment agency. When my crewmate died, the agency also did not seem to take any responsibility. I am currently employed as a security guard in an apartment in Jakarta. I have no plans to work on any fishing vessel in the near future, either abroad or here in Indonesia, because my family forbids me to do so. That was part of an account from Ajij. The name has been changed, the words are being read by a proxy, but the account is real. From Latrobe, Asia, this is The Catch. Hello, I'm Beck Strading, the director of Latrobe Asia, and in this special mini-series, we'll be hearing about the problem of modern-day slavery and forced labour in the offshore fishing industry across the Asia-Pacific region. This is part four: reintegration. I'm joined by Christina Stringer, who is an associate professor in the Centre for Research on Modern Slavery at the University of Auckland Business School. Thank you for joining me, Christina. Thank you, Beck. Christina, I'm keen to get some insight into 
the difficulties faced by those who have been exploited in the seafood industry and some of the challenges that they experience after they get back from these fishing vessels. But to start us off, where did your interest in these topics and issues come from? Yeah, thank you. My interest goes back over 10 years to when the Indonesian crew from the South Korean vessel Ouyang 75 walked off their vessel citing labour and human rights abuses here in New Zealand. Okay, Ouyang 75 had been fishing in New Zealand waters on behalf of New Zealand companies and quota holders. And my colleagues and I undertook research into the labour and human rights abuses at that time. And then five years later, I travelled to Indonesia to research their post-trafficking experience. And most recently, I've been involved in the Windrock project with colleagues from La Trobe University looking at the experience of Indonesian and Fijian fishers and their reintegration. So, Christina, what are some of the experiences of those fishers who have returned home? The men migrated abroad to achieve economic goals. You know, this could be supporting their families, providing education for their children, or earn enough money to build a house, or to earn enough money to buy a house. Okay. Many will have borrowed heavily for the opportunity to work abroad, facing high interest rates. Many find themselves in a situation where they continually have to borrow money as they become aware of additional charges. And on board these vessels, many of them have not been paid, and so it means that their economic goals have not been realised. And they feel they've let the family down, and the whole purpose of migration has been for for no purpose. Mm. And so they can return home, and their fear of poverty still exists, the lack of opportunities still exist, and they can experience shame for not being able to pay off their debts. And they can return home further in debt than when they left because when they were working they were not receiving wages, their family was not receiving any income and so the wives often borrow money to provide Mm. for the family. Many of those on board the vessels were physically and mentally abused. They were made to work excessive hours often in unsafe conditions and they return home and they can experience depression, PTSD, ongoing health problems. And so part of successful reintegration is how to access services that will support them. And that can be Mm. a key barrier. So what, in your view, does successful reintegration look like for those who have experienced slavery or have experienced human trafficking on these fishing vessels? In terms of reintegration and successful reintegration, According to the IOM, the International Organization for Migration, reintegration is when a returning migrant is reintroduced into the social and economic structure of the country of origin, becomes self-sufficient and able to earn their own income. And so what reintegration is, it's about what does the return fisher need in terms of psychological support, life skills, economic opportunities. So maybe there is an immediate need for financial support such as basic living costs, followed by support to help them establish a small business, get vocational training. There could also be the need for longer term medical and social support. 
and the IOM doesn't recommend monitoring past 12 months. So we heard from our introduction that Ajij tried to get assistance from the Indonesian Migrant Workers Union, SBMI, to get paid from the recruitment agency. Uh, Is this an effective strategy or is it one that can have its limits? This is something that fishers will encounter on the return home, those that haven't been paid. There's not a lot of support structure for them to receive their wages. And so in that absence of support structures, SBMI have stepped into this gap and worked on behalf of the exploited fishers. But SBMI's power is limited and they often perform the role of a mediator. So they will mediate between the fisher and the recruitment agents. They will also file reports with the police, with the Ministry of Manpower. But they also lack financial resources to support victims in their search for justice. SBMI is a very important organisation, but their reach is limited. So after completing their time on a fishing vessel, at times what can only be termed as uh, escaping from the fishing vessels, we've heard of men going back for further assignments. So actually getting back on fishing vessels after they have returned. This is a part of an account from Vikal from South Lampung in Indonesia. Despite my negative experience working on a foreign flagship, I set out the following year to become a crew member. At the time, I did not have many options other than returning to work as a fisherman abroad. Other than the experience I gained from working on a fishing vessel, I possessed no skills. Even though I wasn't in debt, my savings were not enough to start a small business at home. For the second time, I was assigned as a crew member on a Chinese flagged vessel, the Zhongrong 13. This boat was operating in the Fiji Ocean in December 2018. I did not expect the same terrible working conditions for a second time. This time, it was even worse. On top of not receiving my salary again, there was a lot of violence from the captain and the bosun. But there was no choice because there were no jobs at home and my first stint on the Taiwanese boat failed to improve my situation. Christina, in your experience, is it common for these men to return to the fishing vessels and why do they do this? In some cases, fishers do return to work in the offshore fishing industry. And they do it because there's a lack of employment opportunities in their village. Okay? And there's also this pressing need to realise their economic goals, to pay off debts. And for some of them, they will owe money from their previous experience working in the fishing industry. So that's just to meet this pressing economic need. Sometimes they believe the situation will be different because it's a different vessel and with a different captain, or they'll go with another recruitment agent, one who's recommended, and it doesn't always work out that the situation is better. And so this brings us back basically to reintegration. You know, if survivors are not reintegrated and provided with the appropriate reintegration support, this can actually increase the risk of trafficking. So, Christina... 
What are some of the key findings around the post-trafficking livelihoods of fishers? That's a very interesting question. And if we look at the aspect just of salary, often what I found is that families will not believe the fishers when they say they haven't been paid. And I remember one fisher saying that his family did not believe him, that he had not received a salary until he showed them a WhatsApp group chat. So there's that aspect. But there's this feeling of shame and embarrassment for not bringing money home. And so that is a major thing often for victims of trafficking. And some choose not to return home. I mean, they'll return home to their country, but not necessarily to their village. You know, often they'll not have enough money to return to their village, you know, for those transportation fees. And so they will stay, for example, in Jakarta and try and find work. Well, we talked a little bit before about SBMI, which is a a workers' union, but I'd like to turn our attention to governments and state authorities. I mean, what can authorities be doing better within states across Asia and the Pacific to regulate these industries and to prevent exploitation, but also to prevent these fishers from feeling the need to return to the fishing vessels. Is this a priority for governments? You know, governments need to take a more comprehensive oversight of the recruitment process. If we use Indonesia as an example, recruitment agents play a key role in facilitating the migration process. And so Indonesian fishers become part of a global labour supply chain. And this is important for governments, you know, the provision of work for their citizens. But governments need to undertake a more comprehensive oversight of the recruitment process. Recruitment agents should be licensed and overseen by governments and that involves the recruitment process including transparency around employment contracts. It also includes occupational health and safety um, requirements that fishers encounter. And so key here, I think, is the more training at the village level with the recruitment of fishers as to what trafficking is and how to prevent it, but also more training and more insight into what their employment rights are. I think there's also the need for a greater level of engagement between governments and NGOs so Mm -hmm. that workers' rights are better protected. And that's useful thinking about the exploitation part and how workers on these fishing vessels, how their conditions might be improved. But how do you think reintegration can be better supported? I think there needs to be legal mechanisms for victims to access claims. So victims need the opportunity to access justice and authorities need to facilitate that. They need to have the opportunity to join a a trade union. Also, what needs to be provided is an adequate range of resources for victims that have returned home, physical, psychological, social and economic support. And I think it's important to remember that every individual is different Mm -hmm. and that the support services need to be tailored towards the individual because returning home doesn't mean the trauma is over. Yes, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Christina. Thank you. In the next episode, we'll be joined by Patricia Kailola of the Human Dignity Group in Fiji 
a self-funded organisation against human trafficking and for human rights at sea, to discuss the role of NGOs in supporting victims of seafood slavery. You've been listening to The Catch, a podcast mini-series produced by La Trobe Asia. And you can find the report on the La Trobe Asia website. Our theme music is Fruition by Edoy. This podcast was developed with the support of the United States Agency for International Development. The views do not necessarily reflect those of USAID. I'm Beck Strading, and thank you for listening.